Hey Metro, welcome to another installment of our Old School series. Now for those of you who have not been around, Old School is Metro's journey through the Old Testament part of the Bible. We started at the beginning in the book of Genesis a lot of years ago, and we've been just slowly making our way through the Old Testament. And the reason we're doing this is that we wanted to see the story of God as it unfolded, and we wanted to see how it's a never-ending story, and ultimately we wanted to see how you and I fit into this story. So today we come to the part of the Bible called the book of Isaiah. Now Isaiah was one of the great prophets and and the thing you need to know about the prophets is that they were given this special gift. They were given this gift to, to hear what God hears, to, to see what God sees, and to feel what God feels. And, and they would look around at the brokenness of our world and, and, they, and they would they, their heart would break because they knew that God's heart would break. And oftentimes, when, when you would read the prophets or listen to the prophets, they, they would come off as so cranky and irritated and even downright angry. But we learned that they weren't angry at all. They were just trying to passionately convey what was in their heart because it was the heart of God they were trying to get us to understand. So as we come to the book of Isaiah, here's our plan. We, we, we want to stop at some of the main teachings of Isaiah. There are certain passages that just jump out at you and and they convey something so powerful and so strong and and it's like he he wanted people to hear these things so clearly and he not only wanted to let his people hear them but he wants us today to hear these things as well and so if you have a bible i'd love for you to follow along we're going to land in the book of isaiah the sixth chapter today and i think you're going to be you're going to be really challenged and you're going to be moved in your faith. Your, your faith is going to be stirred to action by, by what we read in the book of Isaiah. So let me just read from the very beginning of chapter 6. And it starts like this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, now we need to pause right here because you would normally just kind of read right over this and think it's no big deal. So the king dies. Lots of kings have died throughout history, right? But, but that's not what this is conveying. You see, King Uzziah was essentially a pretty good king. Overall, yeah, he did some knucklehead sort of a things, but, but overall, he was a good king, and, and it led his people to prosperity. And when the King Uzziah died, uh, people were freaked out a little bit. They were worried about what would happen to the kingdom. But Isaiah makes a different statement. He, he, he's saying that though the king of this world dies, there's still another king. There's still a king on the throne. And it is not the king who rules with swords and, and power and dominance. It's a different sort of a king. It is the king of all the universe. And so King Uzziah is recalibrating the heart of his people. He's saying, listen, our hope is not lost just because our king is dead. Our hope remains because the king is still on the throne. And that king is the God of heaven and earth. And so check this out. Verse two, he says this, above him were seraphs, each with six wings, with two wings they covered their faces, with two wings they covered their feet, and with two wings they were flying. So he's he's starting to see this vision of something in the heavens, right? He's, he's, he's visioning something that we normally don't see, and it's like God is giving him an exposure to the eternal things. Look at this. It says, and they were calling to one another. Listen to what they were saying. Holy, holy, 
holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorsteps and the threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. You can see the picture here, right? Uh, Isaiah is is taken into this vision from God and it's of God and it's of the throne room of heaven. It's of, of heaven itself and he's saying it's not like here. The whole earth is filled with the glory and the bigness and the power and the awesomeness of God. Uh, and so he's beginning to paint this picture for them and then look at Isaiah's response when he enters into something so holy. Now pause for a second. We're going to see this response. But one of the things that happens sometimes to us when we come into even a church like this is that when the music starts or when the preaching starts or when the praying starts and somehow when you get around the spirit of God, something just happens. Something just stirs inside of you. Many times without even understanding it, you just kind of get teary-eyed. And I was talking to some ladies uh, just the other day here who are brand new to our church. And, and they came to one of our campuses and they were actually in one of the video experiences. And, and they, they said these words to me. They said, quote, I cried all the way through and I don't even know why. I think that's because when you meet God, something deep inside of you is stirred. Now listen to what happens to Isaiah. He says, woe to me, like, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. Something big's happening. He's in the presence of God. He says, woe to me. And then he says this, I cried. I cried. It's the same reaction that sometimes you and I have. When we get around the things of God, it's so different than the things of this world that there's some emotion that is stirred inside of us. He says, I cried, I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord God Almighty. You see what he's saying? He says, I know who I am. I, I, I'm not right inside of me. Who am I to be standing before God? There, there's, this is a moment of repentance for Isaiah. It's a moment of confession for Isaiah. And he says, it's not just me who's unclean. It's not just me who's messed up and jacked up. It's all of my friends. It's all of my people. It, it's like when we sit in church and we go, well, I know I'm screwed up, but I'm not the only one who's screwed up. Isaiah's saying, yeah, we're all in this together. Isaiah, the great prophet of God, Isaiah who becomes the voice of God, is admitting just how broken he is, how, how sinful he is, and how unclean his life is. Now listen to what happens. It says, Then one of the seraphs, one of these angel things, flew to me with a live coal, a burning hot ember, right? And in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And so there's this altar in his vision, that, and, and the altar represents this this flame that is supposed to be purifying us and changing us and burning the junk away in our life. And, and so he says, this angel takes one of the coals from this hot burning altar and he touches Isaiah's lips with it. Listen to this. It says, with this coal, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sins are atoned for. Whew! Do you even realize what's going on here? Uh, Isaiah knows his sinfulness. And in a moment of repentance, when he cries out to God and says, I'm unclean, I admit it, I admit it, and, and I'm standing before a holy God, a perfect God, God says, I'm gonna meet with you. In that moment of repentance, when you confess your need for me, 
God says, I'm going to come and I'm going to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. I'm going to forgive your sin. And so this represents this vision, represents this angel taking that fire that's going to burn that sin away, to burn that uncleanness away. And he, and he touches Isaiah's lips with it and saying, you're not dirty anymore. You're forgiven. Your sins are atoned for. God has done something for you that you could not do for yourself. He has forgiven you of your sins. It's an amazing thing Isaiah has. And so look at what happens next. He hears this voice. It says, it's the voice of the Lord. It says, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? It's like God is looking for somebody. God is looking for a servant. God is looking for somebody who will step up, get out of the huddle, and get into the game. He goes, who shall I send? Who shall I send? And who will go for us? And so God is speaking about the kingdom, and he's saying, who's going to go and represent the kingdom? Who's going to go and bring the kingdom of God from heaven to earth? Who's going to do this among the people who are so unclean and so broken and so resistant to God. Who's going to step up and do this? Now remember who he's speaking to. He's speaking to Isaiah, the one who just said, I'm dirty. I'm not worthy. I'm not ready for this. I'm not your guy. And God asks right to Isaiah. He's, it's sort of like a, a picture where he's, he's saying it to the whole, you know, heavens, if you will, but he's really speaking to Isaiah. And he's saying, who's going to go? Who's going to be my servant? Now look at this. This is what happens next. Isaiah says, here am I. Send me. Here am I. Send me. I'm not much to work with. I'm not your best option. You're going to have all kinds of trouble with me. I am far, far from perfect. As a matter of fact, I don't think I'm, I'm your guy at all. But if you're looking for somebody, God, because I'm here to serve you and not you here to serve me, because of that, I am going to go. Here am I. Send me. And so Isaiah says, send me. Here am I. I will be your man. And God uses him in incredible ways. You see, God has always wanted somebody who is willing not somebody who's perfect. He's always wanted somebody who's available, not somebody who has it all together. He's always wanted somebody who will realize who they are and who God is. Uh, and, and Isaiah becomes that man. And the question is for you and me, will we become this? Will we become what God wants us to become? Will we answer, here am I, send me. And so what I'd like to do with the remaining time that we have together is I want to show you some stories of people in our little church who in their own way have said, here am I, send me, who, who have responded to God, who, who have said, God, I'm not much to work with, but if you want to use me, I'll be used by you. And this first story I want to show you is, uh, is a story of two buddies of mine. Uh, their names are Russ and Jesse. Now, I want to tell you something about these guys. These guys are crazy old dudes. They are not normal. They are not like, they are not like the rest of us at all. They are just, woo, they're out there, you know. But they are out there in a huge way, and in a really cool way, in a good way. And uh, the thing you got to know about Russ and Jesse is that God got a hold of them in big, big sorts of ways. Uh, remember Russ, uh, he used to be a bouncer at some of the baddest clubs in Detroit. I mean, he used to beat people up for a living. And Jesse, um, he lived such an 
crazy off the wall life. I mean, just the whole, I mean, just think of the worst sort of motorcycle gang kind of guy you can imagine. That was my friend, Jesse. And let me tell you something about Russ and Jesse. God got a hold of them in such a huge way. And God is using them in an amazing way through our ministry we call Him, Hogs in Ministry. It's a motorcycle gang. And these people go out and minister to some of the roughest, baddest dudes out there. As a matter of fact, uh, not too long ago, uh, one of the guys in Him, our, our ministry, he, he, he died in a motorcycle accident. And um, uh, I go to the funeral. And Jesse and Russ were leading this funeral. And there were all these motorcycle dudes there from all walks of life, if you know what I mean. And uh, I'm sitting here watching this. And Jesse and Russ are up front of all of the, in front of all these people, speaking of God, telling about what it means to have a relationship with God. And I'm looking around this room and I'm like going, this is the craziest thing ever. All these biker dudes, and we're not talking like the church bikers that we have. We're talking like the biker dudes. They were all teary-eyed and watching and hanging on every word that Russ and Jesse spoke. As a matter of fact, at one point, uh, Jesse comes up to me and he says, Pastor Jay, I'm so glad you're here. Why don't you take over? Why don't you do the rest of this funeral? Why don't you go and say a few words? This is your deal. This is what you do. And I'm like, are you crazy, Jesse? God is using you right now. And God is using you way better than he could ever use me in this situation. Man, you are, you are speaking for God right here, right now. And so I want you to hear Russ and Jesse's story. It's amazing. I've been riding motorcycles pretty much all my life. I started when I was 16 years old. I was patched in with Bikers United at the age of 17. I rode with them guys, different clubs throughout Detroit. Pretty much been my life, uh, my entire life riding, going to Sturgis and Daytona Beach and Chillicothe and all the big Harley meets. Uh, I was there. Had a band called Smoking Cold Train. We did country blues and rock and roll. One night I was doing a gig up at uh, Bikers United. Uh, when a friend of mine would come in there, he said, I've been looking for you, Jesse. I got a message for you. And I said, yeah, who's looking for me? He pointed up to the sky and he said, God. Didn't quite understand it at the time because I wasn't living a life for God. I was living a life for Jesse. Doing things that Jesse wanted to do. Shortly after that, I was at my mom's house. She was going through cancer and we all had a time that we had to be there to help her out through the day. She fell in my arms and said, Jesse, I'm dying. I said, no, Ma, you're not going to die, honey. Make sure you don't die. Get home that night and I looked up in the sky, walked out in the patio and said, God, why me? How come I never got a gift? See, all my life I wasn't supposed to have kids. They said I couldn't. Well, four months later, after I asked God that, Heather's mother was pregnant. And after she come into my life, about the first year, year and a half, I realized that I gotta get her to heaven. She didn't ask to come into this world. But it's my responsibility as a father to make sure she gets to heaven. 
So I started trying to change my life and live for God. A friend of mine that we just did a funeral for two weeks ago, Dave Kaler, called him Doc. He told me about this church, Metro South. So I called Dave and asked him, where was this church at? He told me, Eureka 75. When I seen the service, I thought, wow, what a great church. When God led me here uh, to not only the Metro City Church, he also led me to the Hymn Group. I met uh, Frank, he was our regional director from Hymn. And um, he told me that day that he'd love to have me a, a part of the him group, but because uh, uh, he has been praying for over six years for a downriver chapter, but uh, I'd have to have the pastor of our church, which is Jeremy, on board. When he told me that I had to get the okay from Pastor Jay, I kind of thought well, that was my way out because I didn't feel qualified to uh, run a, a ministry and uh, to, to be in a position that I needed to be in in order to be in him. So I was sure that whenever I talked to Pastor Jay, his response was gonna be, no, nah, not at this time, Jesse. But actually when I talked to him, his words were, I've been praying for this for over six years. And I'd love to have a ministry in this church, Jesse, if you would take charge of it and run it for me, it'd be awesome. And I realized at that time, it's like God said, I don't call the qualify, I qualify those that I call. So after that, we started a hymn ministry here at Metro. It's been going for about three years. Three and a half years ago, I uh, first came to Metro. And the first day I was there, I walked uh, in and I saw a guy wearing a hymn vest. And uh, I ran into a, a guy and I asked him about the the vest if that was a Christian motorcycle ministry and he explained yes it, yes it was and so he searched high and low to introduce me to this guy named Jesse and so we got together and uh, the more we spent together and the more I was preaching to him and next thing you know we became friends and and it everything just grew from there. Russ had been in a couple different churches preaching and you know different Bible schools and and uh, he knows his word. He knows his scripture. And I believe God knew that he was gonna be with me to help run this group. We've been told so many times that there's not a per more perfect fit than me and Russ. We first started out, we, we wanted to help bring Christ to, to, to many people, you know, to these people and their family, these bikers and their families and, and all of that, stuff like that. But uh, we, we didn't know it was gonna kind of blossom into what it's blossoming, blossoming into. One of our biggest responsibilities is to uh, try to bring bikers to Christ. It's not an easy job. Matter of fact, most people aren't welcome into that world. You pretty much have to come out of that world in order to be invited back into it. And I believe with all my heart, that's why God chose me. He took me out of that world, cleaned me up, and gave me an opportunity to go back in there and save my brothers and people that I grew up with and rode with pretty much all my life. Some of the things that me and Russ has done in this group 
is things that I would have never dreamed that we would have adventured out toward. Our responsibility is to go out to motorcycle clubs and try to be there in case they need prayer, need somebody to pray for their mother or father that's got cancer, or daughter or son that's on drugs, or to pray for them. These guys, you gotta realize that uh, they, they've been through it all, and uh, they've been there, and there's been a lot of fighting and shooting, people dying, and all this kind of stuff like this, but since we've been going in there for a while, they've gotten to where they trust us uh, to come back there, and I've even talked to a few of them and got their personal enlightenment that they're, you know, they're having problems with their wife, and I told them I'd pray for them, and right in front of the clubhouse, they reach up and give you a hug and says, I appreciate it, brother. I've had somebody call me the other day. I was gonna end it. Had his gun in his mouth, and I was pretty much ready to give it up. I went out there and talked to him, and by the time it was all over, he said, I want to thank you, Jesse, for what you said. And I told him, it's not what I said. We don't know what to say at a time like this. We pray that the Holy Spirit speak to us and it be God's words. So I want you to remember that them were God's words. He, your Heavenly Father spoke to you today, and that's what he wants you to know. And the guy's doing great right now. He's, I see him all the time and he's just so happy and thankful that I, I was there for him. It just, whether you're in Kroger's or you're in a motorcycle clubhouse, you know, you minister Christ, you know, you minister to him. You let them know that when they see you, they should see Jesus. And that's what we're all about. You know, it's, we're just ministers of, of God's grace to a, a, to a world where the, most of the churches don't go. And, but we do, we're called there. I've said the biggest thing that that I would like more than anything in this world is when I get to heaven, somebody taps me on the shoulder. When I turn around, not knowing who they are, they say, you don't remember me, do you? But I'll never forget you, Jesse, because what you said at that clubhouse that night, or that bar, that street corner. See, God put us here to tell our, our story because we have a message too. Jesus Christ died for us, for each and every one of us to have an opportunity to be a part of that kingdom up there. And I believe it's our responsibility to take as many as we can with us. We go into that world where there's not a lot of people welcome. It's a dark world and only certain people are allowed in. God took me out of that world, cleaned me up so I could go back in there and change lives. It's, it's wonderful to be a part of something where you see the hand of God working on people that you would never suspect that God's working on. You know, you all of a sudden people come up to you and, and they say, we're so thankful you guys come around here with us. We really, really appreciate you guys coming over here. You guys are welcome to our clubhouse anytime. And they hug your neck and, and you know, these are, you know, you don't know what kind of crimes or stuff they've been into, but, uh, you know, they, they're realizing that Jesus, that there is an answer, and uh, it's Jesus Christ.
Now, when you watch a story like Russ and Jesse, you're, you might be like me. You're like, I am not going into any motorcycle clubs. It's just not who I am. It's not how I roll. Glad for them, but it's not me. The point is that it may not be you, but God has called you to something. God has called who will go, who shall I send, who's available. Our answer should be, here am I. Here am I. I am a servant of the living God. And so I want to introduce you to another person who is completely the opposite of Russ and, and Jesse. Her name is Tina Zumbedi. And uh, Tina is just like, she's one of these ladies you look at, she's so cute and she's wonderful and she's so put together and, and she just has this countenance about her that is you know, soft and gentle and wonderful in every way. Well, um, one day she is uh, doing her daily routine She's, she's just going about her life, doing what she does on a normal basis. And God speaks into her life. And God calls her to something. And I want you to hear her story. My name is Tina Zubedi. Um, I've been a Christian my entire life, but there's been a couple times in my life when I distinctly heard his voice. And one of them, about four years ago, I was out jogging. Um, in my neighborhood, I go there all the time, and I distinctly heard God's voice in my head say, stop and help that lady. Um, there was no lady by me. There's a street this way, and I'm jogging down this way. So I kept jogging, and I heard it again saying, go help that lady. Very clear. I backtracked and thought, okay, I'll go help this lady. I turned the corner on one of those side streets that I passed and there was an elderly lady raking her leaves. I went up to her and I said, I, I think you need some help. And she said, no, I don't. She's just a little tiny lady. <laughs> she had white hair and she had arthritis so bad that her, her shoulders were not in their joints. She could barely walk. She kind of shuffled along a little bit. She was very feeble, yet very, very strong. Um, she was very, very stubborn. <laughs> she was very controlling. She tried to control what she could control, but at the same time, she had such a sweet demeanor. Um, she asked me why I helped her, and I said, God told me to. And she said, that's not possible. And I said, well, he did. And I gave her my number, and I told her to please call me. If you ever need anything, please call me. So she called me. We talked on the phone. I came over and helped her get some groceries. That was four years ago. Um, we were we became very good friends, but that first year, it was very hard for her to trust me. She did not believe in Jesus. She believed there was a God, but not necessarily Jesus. I did a lot of things for her. She had no family here. They were all in Canada. She had some nieces and nephews, but she had a bad relationship with them. She didn't get along with her neighbors. She was a little grouchy. She was a little grumpy of a lady, but she was so, so sweet. And um, my grandmother died years ago, so I know that God sent me her. She's so similar to my grandma. Last year she turned 90. So this woman who lived on her own with no family, we had a surprise 90th birthday party for her. And um, she was shocked that anybody cared that much for her. She got over 100 cards from strangers that she didn't even didn't even know. She cried and she actually let me pray with her. Um, she let me pray with her and she let me thank, she was thankful for so many things and so many people and she was actually thankful to God. She still did not have Jesus in her heart, did not have a relationship with him, but because of all these people, she it's almost like she's opening up and she started to 
actually believe that there was a Jesus and there was a God and how could somebody love her? She kept saying, you have a direct line to God, can you pray for me? And I said, how about we pray for you? And we began to pray. Every time I saw her, we began to pray since last year. And I saw one day when I went over that she was reading the Psalms. And I asked her one day if she had a relationship with Jesus and she said yes, she knew who he was and she actually accepted him into her heart. Well, last year, um, this year actually, she was in the hospital for a little while, got transferred to a nursing home. She was abused at the nursing home. So we transferred her back to the hospital. And at that point, she wanted me to call her niece and her nephew in Canada. So I called those two people, told them what had happened to her. She was in the hospital. Her nephew had came and said, the first words out of his mouth was, um, how much is her house worth? But I still continued to talk to him and talk to her niece. And then around New Year's of this year, her family um, came back on me and told me that I had no place in her life. Uh, her nephew was a nice the guy. He was really nice, but I just, I was so connected to her that I thought there's no way somebody else could take care of her as much as me. And then her, her niece came into the picture and I thought, you haven't been here for four years. I was angry. I didn't know what God wanted me to do. I had no idea. It was kind of living day by day. Should she live here? Should I quit my schooling? Should I change something different? What, what should I do? God, why did you put her in my life if her family's going to come and I'm just done? Her niece had um, wanted custody. I don't know if it's, it's guardianship of her. And she told me that I had overstepped and I should have not been there for her for the last four years. And I tried to explain to her that it was God. God put me in her life and she did not believe in God. And she told me um, a lot of horrible things. I began to pray, I cried and cried and I called out to a few trusted friends and my husband and I prayed and I told him that I said, you know what, I don't think I can do this and I slept on it at night. The next morning it was very clear to me that I needed to take everything back. I needed to be, be done because God was giving me a goodbye. So I ended up taking my friend's things to her at the hospital. I prayed with her for the very last time. I held her hand and I told her, um, if anything in the world, I wish, I wish that she would know how much God loves her and how much God cares for her and how beautiful she is to him and how worthy, she's so worthy and she's so amazing. And she lived with so much shame and guilt in her life and she ousted so many people that she didn't believe it until New Year's Eve day. I prayed with her that last time and I took her her things. I had washed her laundry and, and things and I took those up to, up to her and I said goodbye. I didn't realize how much time I was spending with her as it was happening, it started so gradual and it just became more and more and more and more and more that I was not doing things with other people. I kind of stopped doing things with my friends. I stopped doing things with my children. It just became draining to me. I didn't realize how draining it was. I wasn't sleeping. I was worried about her all the time and that is not of God. When this all ended and I did say goodbye to her, my husband's first words out of his mouth were, I love you, Tina. I'm so glad I get my wife back. I did not realize how much I was trying to follow God's will and God's call in my life, but I don't think that he wanted me to neglect my family at the same time, and I did. And God, 
I believe orchestrated all of this because he let me have my final goodbye with her, which is very, very sweet. I know that she knows Jesus and her family is back in her life and that's what she wanted. She wanted her family. So if my place in this whole story was to bring her family back and bring her to Jesus, then God won because that's what happened. Um, I think about her every day and I pray for her every day, but I wouldn't change anything that happened. And I had I not heard that voice from God saying, help that lady, the last four years of my life with her would not have mattered. And she would not, she would not know Jesus right now. And I know that for sure. So I know wherever she's at right now, um, whether she's in a nursing home or if she's in heaven, I know she's going to heaven. And I know that she's, um, at least feeling loved and that she's feeling like she's worth something and for that I am eternally grateful. Isn't it amazing how if you're just willing to listen to God, He'll speak to you. He'll move you. He'll, he'll, he'll change the course of not only your little run but the course of your life. If you're willing to, to say, here am I, send me. Now I want to introduce you to uh, a, a kind of a new friend of mine. Her name is Bailey Kinarski, and uh, Bailey's a little bit wild. She's young, and she is just like full of life. And I, I know this because like she's been hanging out at my house with my kids lately, and uh, she lights up a room pretty pretty good. And and what's interesting about her story is that uh, she responded to one of our calls for one of our Reach Global Mission trips. Uh, she decided to go on the trip to Nicaragua last year. And uh, what's so incredible about this is that Bailey wasn't even a Christian at the time. Um, she was still like checking out this whole God thing. She was completely unsure of it. And uh, God used her response of saying, here am I, send me, to not only help the people around the world, but it changed her life as well. Listen to Bailey's story. So growing up, I didn't have a relationship with God. I wasn't interested in Christianity at all. I just, I was just going with the flow, I guess. I wasn't really intrigued about God or Jesus or anything like that. Um, but I knew that I wanted to travel and I knew that I wanted to help people. So when my friend Lauren came to me with the opportunity about going on a mission trip, I was all, I was all for it. Um, I wanted to go so bad, so uh, she helped me fill out the form and apply. So before I went on the trip, I was really nervous because for one, I didn't know anybody, and then two, um, I knew everybody on the trip were already Christians, and I knew that I wasn't, and I didn't want anybody to know that. I was really nervous that people were going to say that I was a fraud, and that I was going for no reason, and that was not the response that I got at all from the people on the trip. Um, it took me about three days into the trip before I actually told anybody that uh, I don't have a relationship with God. I just wanted to come to help people. Um, the first person I told was Jack. And when I told Pastor Jack that I, I didn't know God, he, he was like, that's okay, like that's fine. Uh, we're just glad that you're here. And that's something that I really needed was somebody to tell me that that was okay and that, you know, people still love you, like we still care about you, we're still glad that you're on the trip. So to have that, that openness and that, 
that kindness from people who knew that I wasn't religious was really great at that time for that transitional period that I was going through. So like during the trip, I had talked more about God than I have like any, like any time before that. Um, I was asking Jack so many questions. I got so close with the people on the trip, like right off the bat. Everybody was super open and super friendly to me. Um, and that was really great because I was, I was so nervous to go on the trip because like I said, I didn't know anybody. And, but the people were just so wel uh, welcoming. And then so once we got that bond, I started talking to the girls on the trip and like talking about my experience, my experiences of not being a Christian and what that meant for me and their experiences of how they came to Christianity and listening to their testimonies. And that was just really inspiring because it was, it wasn't like I was talking to a stranger anymore. It was like I was talking to an old friend and just having that experience on the mission trip with people that I didn't, that were strangers before and now people that I felt like I've known for years, um, to just be vulnerable with those people was really awesome at that time in my life because I really needed some guidance and I feel like those people were so perfect for me because they really got helped guide my heart towards Christ. When I saw people that had so little, like they didn't have, they had people, these people didn't even have a house and they were so happy and they were so loving and they just loved life and I wanted that and I wanted to be able to feel like I had a purpose and I I wondered what, what did they have that I didn't have? I had all these material things and all these opportunities that these people didn't have yet they were so much more wise than me and so much more ahead of the game I guess in a way um, and I wondered like what is it that I don't have that these people have and that was God and I knew that and I knew that these people had just these people were just so wise and they just feel I just felt like they knew that this life was wasn't permanent that there was a life that that was waiting for them and um, I wanted that and I knew that if, if something so powerful can move these people that have so little to know that that they have a purpose in life, then that can work for me too. That can work for anybody. And that just really opened my eyes to see that God works in everybody and he, he, he works in me and he's with me even when I didn't think that he was. And he was with me on that trip the whole time. So when I left the trip, I had knowledge that I never had before. I knew that God existed, but it made everything in my life seem so minuscule. Like when my friends would come to me and talk about boys, I would say like, that stuff doesn't matter. Like you, like I was just, I came back happier than I, than I left. And I feel like that's not the norm. People come back like more upset because they see like how other people live. But when I came back, I was so grateful for everything that I had that I remember coming back the first night and laying in my bed crying because I had a bed to sleep in. And to know that, and I, and I, for the first time in a really long time, I actually prayed for the people that didn't have a bed to sleep in that night. And I prayed um, that their wisdom that they had bestowed on me, but I would be able to carry out and continue in my life and not let what happened to me just stay on the mission trip. I wanted that to continue on into my daily life and I knew that I wanted to inspire other people to go on mission trips and to realize that it's not just about 
going in and building stuff. It's about building relationships and it's about building your relationship with God and helping other people who don't know God to be able to build that relationship. I knew going into the trip that I was determined to make the best of it. No matter what happened, I was gonna do what it took to make the best out of that trip. And I truly believe that's what I did. I came out knowing that God existed. I came out making 15 new friends. Um, that And I think that if I didn't have those 15 awesome people on the trip with me that that were helping me guide my heart in the right direction, I don't I don't know where I would be. I, I definitely know I wouldn't have the relationship with Christ that I have now. And so if I hadn't gone on that trip, none of this would have happened. And I knew that if I wasn't courageous in that moment by going and making the best of the trip, I, I would have missed the best moments of my life. Isn't that incredible how God spoke to Bailey. God moved Bailey's heart because she said, here am I, send me, and it changed the course of not only her life, but her eternity as well. And so when you look at all of these stories, you see just how different they are. Each one had to say, here am I, send me. Now, what's interesting is with Isaiah, he responds to this, here am I, send me thing, and, and, he, and he goes, but God speaks something to him. And it's not what you would want to hear after kind of saying, okay, God, I'm in. Okay, God, I'll volunteer. Okay, God, I'll get out of the huddle and into the game. God says something to Isaiah that's, to me, is very disturbing. It's very disappointing. I mean, this is not what I would want to hear after stepping up to the plate. Now, listen to what God says. Listen, He says, go and tell this people. So go and tell the people, be ever hearing but never understanding. Be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people callous, make their ears dull and close their eyes. Now, do you get what's going on here? He's saying, Isaiah, you're going to go and preach. You're going to go uh, and tell of my glory and my goodness, and you're going to call people to myself. But what you're really going to be doing is closing off their, their ears. They're going to be mad at you. They're going to reject you. They're going to they're gonna hear, but never really hear. They're going to see, but never really see. And you're going to tell them, you're going to listen to me, but you're not going to respond to me. That's like me coming to church and preaching and going, hey, this is what God wants, but I know you're never going to do it. This is who God is, and he wants you to step up in this way. And it's like you going, or it's like me telling you, uh, hey, don't worry about listening to God, though. That's crazy, right? Isaiah was hoping for a result. But here's the thing. When we step up to the call of God, when we answer and we say, here am I, send me, the results aren't guaranteed. I mean, if you look at the uh, book of Isaiah from here to the end, it is an amazing thing. These people reject him. These people kick against him and fight against him. And their hearts become increasingly hard all the way through. Again, it's sort of like, you know, some people come to church and I'm like, well, why are you coming? Your heart is so hard to this all the time. If you're not going to respond, if you're not going to move forward, why are you even listening? But we're going to learn, and we need to learn, that, it's not, that, that the results aren't up to us. God wants us to be faithful, to answer the call, to step into the game. And we say, God, here am I, send me. But it's up to God to bring the results. Our job is to be faithful. Our job is to listen. Our job is to obey and to move forward and to be a willing servant of the living God. Here am I. Send me.